Please stand as we sing. We have heard the joyful sound. Father, as we gather here in your house, you know our hearts, you know our needs, you know our wishes, and so we don't have to voice them, and yet you love to hear us praying to you, expressing our dependence on you and our need for you. So, Father, we acknowledge that from the outset, and we pray that you would not only hear our words, but our hearts and our thoughts. Take us where we are and move us where we need to be and guide us, especially in our thoughts about prayer today. Speak to us and and teach us from your wisdom and your guidance. You know, our hearts are heavy this week with the loss of loved ones, with those critically ill in the hospital now. But in these coming minutes, Lord, We just want to tell you that we love you and we trust you. And we know that you do what's best always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hi, I'm Wayne Whittle, disciple of Jesus Christ, member of First Baptist Church here in Tifton, Georgia. And we'd love to have you come join us this morning. I invite you, no, I encourage you to come be with us on Sunday morning. 
Brother, I'd submit to you that there are three components to our relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. The first is worship. It says in the Bible that Jesus was a church gourd. you know that? In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, He says, He went to Nazareth where He had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day He went into the synagogue, as was His custom. If Jesus saw it fit to come to church, maybe we should too make it a matter of importance. The second component is discipleship. After all, it wasn't Jesus and the 12 dudes, it was Jesus and the 12 disciples. Remember the familiar verse, Matthew 28, 19? He said, therefore go and make disciples. There's nothing like being in a small group discussion like Sunday school class where you're sharing with one another, praying for one another. There's one thing we all have in common, and that's challenges or problems. The third component is service. You know, the moment that you get saved, God equips you as a believer with spiritual gifts, all to provide ministry, to edify Him. So if you're missing either one of those, worship, discipleship, or service, I'd submit to you that you're not living up to that abundant life that Jesus promises. We'd love to have you come join us. Visit our website at fbctipton.org or give us a call. We've got someone standing by if you need prayer or if you'd like more information. It's 382-6063. We hope to see you Sunday. we got a chair waiting on you. Stand with us as we sing, Standing on the Promises. Standing on the promises of Christ my King. Did you have a good time in Sunday school? Yes. Yes. All right. Well, I'm glad you're here, and it's good to see you here today. And we're going to worship God, and and we're going to look at the Happy Club bag. And if you'd like to go to children's worship, boys and girls, you're welcome to do that too. I think Miss Madison Maxwell has a Happy Club bag, and she has been guarding it with her life. And I tried to go over during the welcome and, and find out from your mom what was in it. And she said, Madison knew you'd ask me, and she told me not to tell you. So I am I am totally lost. Oh, no, let's see what we got in here. Okay, Madsen, what is this? A snake. A snake. Why'd you bring a snake? Because he's special. He's special? I've never had anybody bring a snake that was special. <laughs> Tell me why this snake is special. He's from your friend's dad. Somebody gave you a gift as a snake. How many of you like snakes? Uh, What? (laughs) All y'all, some of you, some of you, how many of you don't like snakes? (laughs) This snake is special to Madsen, so here, you hold it. (laughs) I don't like snakes very much. 
I know it goes all the way back to the beginning of time when a snake tempted Eve. You know that story in the Garden of Eden and said, eat this apple, and she ate it, and then God cursed the snake and made him slide on his belly the rest for all time. So ever since then, Madsen, snakes have not been one of my favorite creatures, but I guess if it's special to you because it's a gift from somebody that, that you care about, then that makes it special. You know, it's, 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 what, it's those gifts that people give us out of love that make something that otherwise we might not appreciate or we might not like. It's that gift that makes it special. So when someone gives you something like Madsen, realize it comes from the heart and they give it because they love you. And even if it's not something that's one of your favorite things, you can always cherish it because it came as a gift from love that somebody you care about. So I understand why you love it, and you can pat that little snake and love him all you want to. And you hold him, and I won't. Let's, um, we need to give the happy, let's, let's pray, and then we'll give the happy club bag. All right. You pray after me. Dear God, thank you for gifts from people who love us. Help us appreciate those things that they give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we need to give it to a, a, a boy. Is it Jace Merriman? You want Jace? Jace, you want to take the bag home and bring back something special next week? And Madsen, you hang on to that snake. Don't let him get away in church. All right, boys and girls, if you'd like to go to Happy Club, you can go with with Miss Michelle and uh, be careful. Now Moses was out tending the flock of Jethro, and he saw a bush that was on fire, but did not burn up. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, Here I am. The Lord said, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have, I've heard them crying out, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them and bring them up out of that land. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go, that they may be free and may go worship the Lord. But the same day, Pharaoh gave an order to the slave drivers to make the men work harder. Moses and Aaron went again to Pharaoh and commanded for Pharaoh to let my people go. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them. Moses continued going to Pharaoh, each time carrying God's message, and each time Pharaoh's heart was hardened and he refused to let the people go. God turned the waters of the Nile River into blood. God sent a plague of frogs to the land. God sent a plague of gnats and flies to the land. God sent a plague to all the livestock of the Egyptians. God sent a plague of boils and rain down hell upon the land. God sent a plague of locusts and of darkness. Still Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not let the Israelite people go. 
Lastly, God sent a death plague upon each of the firstborn sons in Egypt, and Pharaoh finally agreed to let the Israelites go. During that night, during that night, he called Moses and Aaron and said, "Get up, leave my people, go worship the Lord as you have requested." And he let the Israelites' people go. for us today. I'm going to ask you to stand as we sing our offertory hymn, Tell It Out With Gladness. Please stand as we sing.
pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just love you and you praise your name, Lord. We thank you so much for just allowing us together just to worship you, Lord. We, we thank you for this church body, Lord, this ministerial staff. And, Lord, we thank you for allowing us to live in a country that we can worship you freely. We come before you now uh, to present our tithes and offerings, Lord. We ask you just to take them, use them to further your kingdom both here and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. leading us in worship thus far. Uh, A sermon on prayer, I I preached on prayer recently, and 
theology series. But uh, what happens when you pray for something and you get it, and it's not what you wanted? Or it's not what you expected or anticipated? And with the answered prayer comes another whole set of challenges. The sermon's entitled, The Challenge of Answered Prayer. Matthew, I mean, Genesis 25, 19 through 26. Genesis 25, 19 through 26 is a story about Rebecca's answered prayer and the problems that came along with it. You hear people say, be careful what you pray for, you might just get it. And I guess that's the theme of today. But I also want you to hear that with the blessing of answered prayer, you know, there may come a burden but the blessing's still there. Matthew 25, verse 19. These are the descendants of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took to wife Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why do I live? Or, to paraphrase that, why are you putting me through this? Why am I alive to suffer like this? So, she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. When her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, The first came forth red. All his body was like a hairy mantle. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came forth, and his hand had taken hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So how long had it been between the time Isaac began praying and the twins were born? You remember he was 40? Now he's 60. It's been going on for 20 years. Let's pray. Father, we think we know what we want, and we pray persistently, and we pray fervently, and we hope and expect that when those prayers are answered that everything will work out perfectly, but that's not always the case. So help us to trust you even when we don't understand, and when we pray, Lord, We're just being honest in expressing our heart's desire. But help us learn to conclude prayers with, nevertheless, not our will, but yours be done. Even as our Lord did in the Garden of Gethsemane. So, Father, hear this prayer, and if it be pleasing to you, answer it in Jesus' name. Amen. This story of Rebecca in the Bible this morning presents a predicament of sorts for Christians. It's a story in which prayer is answered, but it results in family conflict and personal pain. The story starts out all right. Isaac and Rebecca have been married for 20 years without children. You've got to understand, in their culture, nothing was more painful for a Jewish woman than to be barren. Nothing more tragic for Isaac than not having a son through whom God could fulfill his promise that they would be parents of a great nation. In the Old Testament, children were the way of your name living on. 
Children were essential. So Isaac prays for his wife, Rebecca, and she conceives. And everything is rocking along nicely. And to this point, we have a story of God's graciousness in answering prayer. And, and I like that kind of story. And, and I can take a passage like that and talk about it, the power of prayer, for a long time. But then suddenly, without warning, something goes awry. There's not one child, there are two, and they're struggling against each other in the womb. Verse 22, the children struggle together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why do I live? Why is this happening to me? And I read that, and I wonder, is this a common experience that you and I have from time to time? I want it, I pray for it, I get it, suddenly I don't want it anymore. Let me give you an example. My uncle always wanted a great big luxury automobile. This was in the 60s. He had several children. He had multiple obligations. He had a mortgage. He never could afford one. And every year the new models came out in the fall and he went down to the dealer's showroom and he would take a test drive and smell the newness and rub the finish and kick the tires and then go back out on the street and get in his old Ford Fairlane and drive home year after year after year. Finally, his day came. The children had grown and married. The the mortgage was paid. He was still making a decent salary. And so he decided to take the plunge. On the first day of October, he drove out of the showroom with a brand new 1968 Cadillac convertible. It got seven miles per gallon. On cold mornings, it would not start. On On hot days, it overheated. The first six months, he, we don't have any GM dealers in here this morning, do we? Just, the first six months he owned it, he spent more time in the repair shop than it did at home. Before the year was up, he sold it and bought another Fairlane. He said the two happiest days in his life were the day he bought the car and the day he sold it. And those experiences are not uncommon. We you know, we want some new clothes. We go out and we buy the clothes and then we come back home and say, why did I buy this? I'll never wear it. I think it's called buyer's remorse. And a lot of contracts now include a little clause that allows you, after a few days of, after signing, when you can change your mind and back out. Some people make mistakes with things far more important than clothes or cars or houses or property. Some do it with their vocation, with a career, with a relationship, sometimes even marriage and children. I couldn't believe it this past Thursday. I was watching uh, TV and this lady, did you see her interviewed on the Today Show? She decided to leave her family and go to Japan to write a book. She had a contract, a grant to write the book in Japan. She had a three-year-old and a five-year-old son. In the process of writing that book in Japan, she decided she didn't want to be married anymore and she didn't want to be a mother anymore. And so she came back home and divorced her husband and and left the children with him and decided to start over. And I'm thinking, that's pretty selfish. You know, when you have children, you sign up to be a parent. In golf, starting over is called a mulligan. I'm not a golfer. But Bill Hughes tells me you can have 10 or 12 mulligans every game. <laughs> He's not here today, so don't tell him I said that. And, and I don't know, I, I guess there's a Scottish guy named Mulligan who never counted his first drive unless it was really good. But you know what? There are no mulligans. 
in relationships, in marriages, and in children. At least there aren't supposed to be. I had a friend at Samford um, whose parents were divorced, and, and she told me that. We were talking one night, and she, I don't know why she wanted to share that story with me, but it was something that really made an impression on me. She said her mom met this fella and fell in love with him in college, and she prayed and prayed and begged and begged God that one day they would get married. And God answered that prayer, and she was miserable throughout her married life. I remember doing something similar to that in high school, and I hesitate to share this because you might misunderstand, but I believed in the power of prayer, and and like I said, I was pretty shallow, so why not pray that all the pretty girls would find me irresistible? (laughs) Well, let me tell you, being irresistible is not all it's cracked up to be. Some of you men here know what I'm talking about, right? Amen? There's a couple men who do. Not many. The women are rolling their eyes. See, maybe Rebecca's just fickle. You know, maybe she wanted a child and, and conceived and, and then suddenly decides, you know what, I don't want this child so much after all. Of course not. That's not what's happening here. The problem is not that Rebecca is dissatisfied that God has answered her prayers. The the Bible is very clear. She was barren. She wants a child desperately. She prays fervently, and and Isaac prays with her, and, and they are overjoyed when they realize that she conceives. But something is wrong. There is a war raging within her body, and when we pray, isn't peace supposed to be the result and not war? When we pray, things are supposed to get better, aren't they? Not worse. Here we have not the power of prayer, but the the problem of prayer. Not the joy of answered prayer, but the pain of answered prayer. Of course, we can explain this paradox away. We could blame the problem on Rebecca and say she's just selfish, like the woman who left her husband and children. Maybe she's just a whiner, you know, a complainer for whom... Even the simplest of pregnancies would be an imposition in her life. For Rebecca, we could try to explain away the hardship of answered prayer, but it really won't solve anything because this is only one place in the Bible where prayer has been answered and pain is the result. Let me give you some other examples. Do you remember Moses pleading with God, asking for someone to help him shoulder the burden of being the deliverer of the children of Israel out of bondage in Egypt. Moses begged God, and God finally answered Moses' prayer, and God gave Moses Aaron, Moses' brother. Aaron was anointed high priest. And if you read the story of the wilderness wanderings closely enough, you will find Aaron becoming Moses' heaviest burden, giving him problems almost at every turn. The problem was Moses just didn't trust God enough. Speaking of that, what about 1 Samuel? In 1 Samuel, Israel is pleading with God to have a king like all the other nations. Why can't we be like the other nations and have a king like they do? And God says, because you're not like the other nations. Am I not enough to you? Can you not be satisfied with me? And Samuel goes back and forth between the children of Israel, back to God, pleading with God. The children of Israel will not let up. So finally, God told Samuel, go ahead, anoint Saul to be the king. 
And it's not long before Saul descends into madness. Okay, Israel, you got what you wanted. Don't come complaining to God now. What about the story of Hosea? Have you read that story? Praying to God for a wife and being released by God to go and marry Gomer. So he marries her and with a few short years, she abandons him and their children like the lady on the Today Show and returns, this time Gomer returns to her former profession, prostitution at the Temple of Baal. What about Paul? Paul had a desire to go to Rome and preach the gospel. Several times in letters he says, I hope to go to Rome and preach. It is the the center of the empire. He writes a letter to the church at Rome and it contains the most perfect expression of theology found in scripture, filled with expectation and hope of a future visit. And then God finally answers Paul's prayer and he arrives in Rome. But do you remember how? In chains. And it's probably in Rome that Paul is finally killed by the crazy emperor Nero. I was struck by Ashley Taba's testimony here a few weeks ago. Do you remember her prayer to God desiring a ministry in Botswana? And she had a little Bible study with a few women in her house, but it just wasn't, you know, she wanted more. Her heart's desire was to reach more people. She kept praying for a greater impact, greater ministry in Botswana. And then God used Caleb's difficult birth and his miraculous healing and a book that Ashley has written to spread her story all over the world. And the kingdom of God is being impacted today in ways that Ashley could have never dreamed possible, kneeling and praying in her home for a ministry in Botswana just a few years ago. I remember some folks I heard about recently, Jim and Laura. They were the most charismatic couple in college. Jim looked like an All-American. Laura looked like a movie star. They got married shortly after college, but postponed having children until Jim got established in business. Uh, About five years after marriage, they started trying to have children, but they couldn't. A series of tests revealed no physical reasons, still no pregnancy. It was written off, and I've heard this before, 5% just unexplained infertility. They resigned themselves to a childless future. But they still prayed for children. And and one day, Laura was 38, Jim was 40. And they announced to their friends that she had conceived. The friends were concerned since she was 38 and getting up in years to be having a first child. And they had good reasons because the pregnancy was difficult. But nothing could dampen the enthusiasm of Jim and Laura. Laura said, we've been praying for a child for 10 years. This child is a miracle. God's not going to let anything go wrong. Well, in reality, things went wrong. The pregnancy damaged Laura's health. The baby, a precious little girl, born with a congenital heart defect and other problems. Medical care over the next six years took all of Jim's money and drove him to the point of bankruptcy. Two weeks shy of her sixth birthday, the little girl died. She had spent almost half of those six years in the hospital. And Laura said this child was an answer to prayer, a gift from God. How can answered prayer result in such pain? Where do you get an answer to that difficult question? 
Well, you do what Rebecca did. In verse 22, the children were struggling. And she said, if it is like this, then why am I alive? And so she went to the Lord to inquire. This wasn't her only option. She could have turned away from God and blamed God and looked elsewhere. She could have reverted into her past. She could have walled herself off from any new revelation from God. Denied any promise had ever been made. Denied the prayer was ever answered. She could have turned back to the idol worship of her ancestors. She could have embraced the religious fads of her day. She could have followed the stargazing astrologers or turned to the Baal cult. That's the option a lot of people choose. Multitudes of people today are turning to to other gods, to other witnesses, following, I don't know, Shirley MacLaine into the New Age or John Travolta into Scientology. Or Rebecca could have just opted out completely, letting her disappointment and and, and heartache turn into self-pity. She could have rejected God and the things of God, descending into a kind of apathetic atheism. As I say that, I can't help but wonder how many atheists today are former Christians who think God turned their back on them, and so they turned their back on God. Thankfully, Rebecca chose none of those options. She turned to God and the Lord answered her. In verse 23, the Lord said, he explained, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples born of you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. So the answer is not simple, but neither is real life. Here Rebecca comes face to face with a harsh reality of faith. To be chosen of God involves both a blessing and a burden. Rebecca will be the mother not of one child, but of two. And yet these two brothers will be at war with each other. These two nations will be at war. And I might add, they still are today. It's the price of obedience to God and involves a blessing and a burden. So if you're looking for sunshine without rain or joy without sorrow or peace without pain, let me tell you, you're not going to find it in the Bible. Because the Bible is not a fairy tale or a Western movie. You read these stories and you hear the agony of the people who are chosen of God as they struggle under the burden of their chosenness. And that's why you read about the weeping of Jeremiah or the heartbreak of Hosea or the anguish of David or the anger of Amos or the pathos of Peter or the pain of Paul. To be chosen usually involves a burden along with a blessing. And the blessing usually comes in, a, in the most unexpected way as you struggle to bear the burden, as you trust God, as you learn how to carry the burden. It's in the bondage of the Egyptian slavery that the nation of Israel was born. It was in the heartache of a marriage gone sour that Hosea experienced the grace of God. It was a, in a Roman dungeon that Paul proclaimed the gospel in its purest form. Do you remember the strange words of our Lord in Hebrews 12 too? He says, or is written of him, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. 
For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. There's a popular little phrase now that was ran through Victorian England, and you still see it today pretty frequently. It says, no cross, no crown. In other words, you know, we want to we circumvent the cross. We want to bypass the pain and suffering. We want to get straight to the reward and the crown. But without the cross, the crown meant nothing for Jesus. It's in carrying the burden that we receive the blessing. No one else knows what burden you might be carrying today. But no one else can share in its blessing either. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is Philippians 3.10. It says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That sounds good. But then it also says and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Paul wants to know Jesus and the power of his resurrection. But it's the fellowship of his suffering that that power is made manifest. It's in knowing the fellowship of suffering that we discover the power of the resurrection. And both of those, the power and the suffering, were part of his death. I remember in experiencing God, Henry Blackaby used to say, when he concluded prayers, he said, God, this is what I want. But if you've got something better in mind, I'll take that instead. I think that's wise. I think it's a paraphrase of what Jesus said in the garden. God, I would rather this cup pass from me. But nevertheless... Not my will, but yours be done. Let me go back now and finish the story about Jim and Laura, the couple that had the the child. Several years had passed since their precious little girl had passed away, and there were some couples sitting around talking one evening, and someone in the group said, You know, Jim, life is hard to figure out. We all believe that Laura's pregnancy was an answer to prayer, but then it turned out to be such a tragedy. And Laura and Jim must have been very patient because they smiled at each other and took each other's hand. And Jim replied to his friends, he said, it was no tragedy. Our daughter was a blessing sent directly from God. And we would not trade one single day of those six years for anything this world has to offer. You see, being chosen involves a blessing and a burden. And it's usually in carrying the burden that we find the blessing. Some of you here this morning know what I'm talking about. Only you and God know the burden you carry. And only you and God will know the blessing that will come as you learn to trust him. And shoulder that burden together. Shall we pray? God, why can't things be simple and black and white? And we understand better what it is we want. And when we ask for it or when we seek after it.
and receive it. Become satisfied. But you know that's not our nature. And you know that so often we we place our heart's desire on those things that are not good for us, that are not your best for us. And yet still you patiently wait and provide and hope that someday we'll get to the point where we trust you enough to say, God, not our will, but yours be done. God, this is what I want, but if you have something better in mind, I trust you and I'll take that instead. Father, life is complicated. And sometimes with the blessing of answered prayer, there comes a burden. But that's usually the way it is with people you use and people you've chosen and people for whom you've answered prayers. So help us to trust you. To still be honest and express our heart, but to leave it in your hands, to take it and do with as you deem best, knowing us, knowing the future, and knowing your will for our lives. God, we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Come all Christians, be committed is our hymn of invitation number 604. I'll be at the front to receive you if you need to profess your faith publicly.